Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I am coming to you from Seattle, Washington, which is home of Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Boeing, and an incredible startup ecosystem that rivals Silicon Valley. Each episode, I bring on friends and guests who are executives and business leaders from the local community and around the world to talk about a topic that we find very interesting. Please enjoy this episode. Hey everybody, this is Eric Veal with the AppsJack Capable Communities Podcast, and I'm here today with Dave DeNoia, uh, Mark, and Ellie, and we're going to talk about finance. And so we have basically uh, four episodes in this in this series, and we're going to talk about financial resource management. We'll probably get into Bitcoin, blockchain, uh, definitely we'll talk about the cloud and just distributed systems as we've done on previous previous episodes, but... Um, I'll hand it off to Dave to do intros. We'll just do a quick round of intros of who, who's here talking with us today. Hi, my name is Dave DeNoia, and uh, I worked with data uh, for my whole career and uh, in various forms and big data, databases, etc. And uh, yeah, it's great to be here. Hi, I'm Mark Müller-Eberstein. Um, based on the accent you can figure it out, I'm coming from Germany originally, but I live in the U.S. since the late 90s. I run a consulting business, EdgeTech Corporation, and um, do a research uh, on what the key technologies are uh, with Rutgers University and a couple of research institutes across the globe. And uh, just having a good time lately around uh, blockchain technology. Welcome. I'm Ellie Mungeli, DevOps engineer, currently working for JPL NASA. I also am a consultant around democracy for government and digital government. Thank you. So welcome to our guests. Thanks, everybody, for being here. And uh, just after the break, we're going to get into a lot of details about financial resource management and just the current state, essentially, of finance, money, and all this digital uh, craziness we've got going on. All right, we're going to launch into a conversation about, so basically coming off of a couple different conversations about finance and our first one was about the history and where we are now and then we talked about David and Goliath kind of conflict and differences of interest for example between parties but we agreed we wanted to focus on for a while here on this episode uh, just about what it would look like and feel like basically to have an ideal using these technologies we've talked about what what would the regulatory system look like what would be laissez-faire versus controlled what are these different kind of controls and regulations that we would like to see that are ideal, or which, what are the kinds that we would want to prevent? I think one for me, what your question triggers is to think about how much economic potential in the world has been untapped today. As I said earlier, 20% of people have access to the banking system whose job it is to provide capital to people that build something new and create more value. 80% uh, have not. Um, things like the sharing economy with Uber and Airbnb, they unlocked the economic potential of assets that was not available before. So I think the technologies we're talking about, we will see more and more of that. So for making them available, making them accessible, will create more economic potential, more wealth for the population globally. Um, but I think, as you said earlier, there's also the challenge of people starting to take control, manipulating it, driving in different directions. One of the things that I find really promising is, again, this link between a technology for currency and a technology for identity, because it's come up in the, in the international deliberative and democracy community that 
identity is in fact a kind of currency. And we know this already. We talked about it a little bit over breakfast where it's any service that you have for free, you're paying for it with your data. You know, so your identity is really the most valuable or one of the most valuable things in the modern technology market is how that's working. And it's very promising if we can control our own identity. We have the the promise of People, for example, having more authentic democracy in places where it's been suppressed because they can raise the money for, for that, because they can get the resources or unlock the resources simply through their existence if they have the basic resource of being able to reach the virtualization. Have an, idea, have an identity in a connected world, so you may be able to reach out and to communicate with others, yes. Just, uh, just an, interesting, uh, an interesting thing in that is that it sounds like we're talking about bartering as the core of this now modern modern thing that we're doing, very modern, very like we're thousands of years beyond bartering, but now we've come back to that. Yeah, and I think that when we look at that, I like some of the models that are more authentically democratic. They're actually more stable. Like when we look at the few states in the United States that are home rule states for taxation, um, Alabama is one, Alaska is another, Colorado, where even small municipalities can make up their own sales tax rules. They're a pain to do business in, but from a dem democratic standpoint or the standpoint of a democracy, it's actually a very stable revenue stream because one of the reasons people overthrow governments is because they're taxed too much or not enough, right? Government will also collapse if nobody's being taxed and there's no services. Mm -hmm. As an economist, you have to understand that regulations have a cost. We as a society, we can mm -hmm. argue if the cost is worthwhile carrying, mm -hmm. but they always come at the cost at the system. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The um, gotcha. Let's see here. So, where are we at with our conversation? <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm a little lost. So we we we're. What do we want to see out of this technology? I think oh, right. one of the things we don't want to see is this corporate company store scenario, mm -hmm. where we have currency, where our currency is actually locked to our employer and into our job. Yeah, that one doesn't sound good. I agree that that's not a visionary <laughs> What's the, what's the other side of well, that? Well, I think Dave and I already agreed on that. I think it's the uh, Gene Rottenberry's vision of the Star Trek future. Oh, Everybody yeah. in peace, one government. I'm ready. One. I'm totally ready. <laughs> I don't even need a replicator. If my neighbor has one, they let, they let me borrow a little bit, I'll be cool. So I have two questions. <laughs> I, have t I have two questions for Dave and Mark. One, the barter thing, so the, the question that I have is these 80% these of people that are, are kind of untouched and there's this opportunity as economists or opportunists or uh, global thinkers and we want to unlock and enable the potential of people everywhere, uh, I think that's Microsoft's slogan, don't they? They're talking about <laughs> sadly. I'm back in this corporate thing here. Uh, but anyway, so the, the 80%, these, these uh, others that are out there that are kind of untapped, um, Dave, help me understand why you say that accessing them becomes bartering. What does that mean? Uh, and then the other attribute I'd add the, toward me towards this vision, or the word that I thought of is ownership, that these people that are out there, we're not there to take advantage of them. We're there to enable them, and we're, able, we're there to give them tools and technology and so forth. Yes, we want to get them into our system and uh, help them take and make money over time. We want to grow the pie. 
I'm not sure that I'd agree that, you know, that it is a fundamentally about bringing them in and enabling them. I think, you know, if that 80% is going to be tapped, it's because it has value to a you know, commercial concern. And we talk about bartering, you know, specifically around, I have a free service. And as, as Ellie said, it's not free. You've given them something. You've given them your information, which they can use in some, in some form. Um, and then, you know, so then the question is, you know, I'm a little bit, I have a philosophy background, uh, and I, and, you know, can distribution basically be used to concentrate information, right? And then once that information is concentrated, what can that then be used for, right? So there's this kind of dichotomy there. Uh, Where it. I see the barter, the, I, the concept of barter as relevant is that when you're making a barter, it's two individuals, and they're both assigning their personal value, Whereas currency, it's like some exterior force has assigned the value of the currency based on a larger market, you know. But between a barter system, it's like, and that's where using your identity yeah. as currency right. becomes a kind of barter because you can right. define your own identity went in a distributed identity system. I think where it differs from sort of traditional barter is that you're not bartering individual to individual so much as you're bartering individual to large concerns. Yeah, to the system. Right. So yeah. then it becomes a question of like what oh you know what what is it that you're giving up there and what are you getting? Right. And we know what we're we know what we're getting, but we don't necessarily I don't think yet know what we're giving up. So mac macro and micro, I think, are useful words to think about this stuff. Earlier, we talked about David and Goliath, but we're not talking about macro and microeconomics. We're just talking about economics there. But if we do to talk about microeconomics or things at a, you know, uh, at a, as a single individual or between individuals in a micro sense, what's happening down there economically? What are the incentives for people? Why are people trading or not trading, et cetera? There's a whole set of stuff there. And then the macro stuff is the systems level thinking about controls and opportunities and risks and markets and stuff like that. One of the most obvious things to me in studying electronic democracy is that distributed democracy is most effective when the, the node units are actually relatively small. Although we associate this with conservative politics in the United States, to be effective in a direct democracy where everyone is actually, the citizens are making the decisions, then in order to really harness domain expertise, then you need it to, people need to be making local decisions so that they can see their effectiveness. I wonder what that means in terms of currency. Is the most stable form of currency where every town has their own currency or sure. is it localized somehow? It's an interesting point. Uh, Ellie, because you said earlier, it's about groups and communities, but do the communities have to be in all aspects at the same localization. Could it be around a certain topic? Could it right. be... Um, communities of communities conscience. Of conscience. Yeah. I mean, I read an interesting article the other day said about, uh, could you create, for example, a vegan blockchain community? Is it, what would that mean? It's basically an organize, a, a group that says, yeah. okay, we are making sure that we have a vegan token that yeah. makes sure that this, how the project, uh, how the produce is produced, where it's coming from, how it has been transported, who is selling it, how am I consuming it, how I'm actually providing recipes for it. And there's a value exchange that is in one community that doesn't have to be geographically at the same place, but it has to be around the, uh, the, the, the same belief system. Yeah, a culture actually. And we've always had diaspora as well. You know, I mean, there's different communities where the people are just so more Puerto Ricans in New York than there are in Puerto Rico. You know, yeah, yeah. we've always had that kind of thing going on where nations get stretched across yeah. archipelagos or, or groups. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so is that relevant? Should those groups have their own currency? And we talk about them having their own government. But again, in the case of a sovereign cloud, you need people, you need citizens, and you need resources. And so for them to actually, we think about that mostly in terms of like, how do they have resources that are exchangeable within the larger system now? But when we start talking about this private private blockchain and private currencies, then that could be really, really powerful, though I'm not sure how. Fascinating. Yeah, this just reminded me of, uh, of looking at something I was uh, looking at some gerrymandering things recently, and that some of the some of the strangest shapes actually are doing are, are something you can't just do it on pure shape alone. Like, like some of the strangest shapes actually do like connect to communities that are that basically are one community with something in between them, but they have the same uh, they, they, they have something similar about them that actually makes it appropriate that they are represented together. Um, which get, getting to your point of, of the individual like that individual community like choosing representation for itself. Uh, having its own ideas be able to influence the, the larger piece together. Well, yeah, boundaries and borders and geography as a key uh, tool to um, divide lines, create borders, and then create cur currencies on either side, that's obviously something we've done for a long time. Yeah. And, um, but I think the idea, for example, of the vegans that we could be organized along the line of, of a shared interest, shared values, and that there's some common exchange that we agree as a community together that this is how we roll, it's that like, makes a lot of sense. It sounds to me like the, like using blockchain technology for vegan supply chain authentication. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is, I, I hadn't, uh, that was a fast, it's a fascinating idea. Yeah. And that's so important in certain communities. Again, I, I live in a community, I live on Mercer Island, and it's important that the grocery stores have kosher. And I look at anything like that where you want to be assured of your supply chain in a very human way. You know, that's, that, that potentially has a lot of power. But we're talking again, this interesting thing about layered identity. And is it possible that, like, now all of us have layered identities? You know, on one hand, I work for this company, but I may be engaged in a club or something on the side. You know, you have your identity as a parent or your identity as a worker, whatever. Will there be separate currencies for all of the layers of identity? Currently, like, currency is kind of a universal thing for all of our identities, but we lose power possibly Maybe, out of that. But then also the question is, and I'm thinking out loud now, how, how easy do you make the exchange between the different currencies? Well, portability right. is portability key. Portability is key. I mean, one of the key challenges loyalty programs have, if I'm thinking about marketing and advertisement blockchain, um, loyalty programs are on one side, they're very popular, but people, the biggest complaint is I can't really do anything with the points I'm getting. So how can I transfer them back and forth? And a lot of companies now thinking about how you can create exchange markets between my loyalty customers sure the, to make uh, things easy and more frictionless. The credit card and airline miles, right? Mm -hmm. We went through this, actually, when if you re we go back to the ATM example, originally you could only use the ATMs at your own bank. Yes, and now you right. can use ATMs like everywhere. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so that seems to be a, there's a viscosity aspect to this where we want a lot of frictionless Systems we want to we want new capabilities for sure, and we want more value out of singular channels like the vegan example of we're gonna just have a fully robust vegan community globally, and they'll have their own currency, and it's gonna be great, and they'll flourish. Eric, I think actually so that's how how we do this today already, because he said you may have, I have my as I have some my money in the first tech credit union, other in the Boeing credit union, other piece of people at U.S. Bank. 
we think it's US dollars, but it's actually not. It's database entries at our right. financial institutions. Mm -hmm. So it's Boeing money, Federal Credit Union, right. First Tech Credit Union, totally US Bank, Wells Fargo money. We all agree that we are exchanging it in this unit called US dollar, but at yeah. the end of the day, it's database entries in different organizations. D database entries uh, leverage 30 to 1. Right. <laughs> One of the things that I have thought a lot about as a cloud engineer is the way that we really are not yet exploiting the virtualization of machines. You know, there are so many things that you can do. Like one of the things that we haven't seen yet really is a completely distributed operating system. There are parts of my cloud that have specific tasks, but they all run the same operating system, whether they're doing the distributed task that's, you know, DNS or mm -hmm. one thing or the other. I wonder how that applies. Again, we're kind of talking about specific currencies that are associated with specific communities that we ourselves can create. The potential of that, is it something like cloud? Like you, we talked earlier about naming conventions, having a whole nother layer of, of control because it's virtualized now. Is that also true of currency? Is there like a whole nother way to spend it? Is there like, you know, I'm not sure what the implications of the virtualization of currency are. I tend to think about just doing transactions the way we've always done them. Uh, for me, it feels, certainly, so I don't have the answer, but I think looking at this whole blockchain and cryptocurrency thing, it feels like the internet in the early 90s. Um, when we were talking about, does advertisement on the internet make sense? Is there another use for the internet other than sending emails this from one place to the other? And that might have an, have an impact on fax machine producers and maybe the postal service, but we were not even close of thinking about Netflix, Amazon, yeah. Spotify. Yeah. 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 There, I think there's a lock-in property that anybody that's providing, just taking the vegan example again, for example, they, they would have an incentive, anybody that's associated with the government, quote unquote, of the vegans that is trying to establish this, this uh, currency and capability and community and all this stuff, that they, they build all those things up, but then they have an interest in keeping people in the community. And it's proof if people are leaving their community that they're failing. So they have a disincentive to have people leave. So they build in controls and like lock in things to keep people there. But and then the same is true. For example, you talk about, you know, migrating between Apple and Microsoft, for example, you know, that there's an incentive of these infrastructure providers to lock people in and to make it really hard to leave. What does it even mean for currency exchange if we have this like explosion of different currencies? When we talk about the portability of currencies at that point when there's so many of them and there's and they can be so volatile, like how are we going to measure that? Well, we, we look at look at the currency exchange markets right now. Uh, they're competing with each other. There's different models. There's different spectrum of what kind of coins and currencies they are trading. Um, I think we're right now we're seeing these things develop and probably we're learning a lot of painful lessons um, that uh, five years from now we'll look back and say, well, that was interesting and we are doing it different now. Yeah, I definitely as a cloud engineer working again with virtual machines, it was an enlightening moment for me to realize that what I really wanted was the machine and not the platform. And so I started building everything to be portable between platforms. And most of the engineers I work with aren't at that point. It's enough for them to even get on the cloud in a single platform. I wonder what that means in terms of currency, if you can build a currency that is inherently portable. 
as a property. So as an objective, you you build it so that it is literally portable. Yeah, like is there a currency that's just a bridge currency? <laughs> well, I'm not sure yeah. why it would be this. If you have yeah. markets, maybe, maybe, but if you have yeah. markets that are working more or less in real time, yeah. um, you can go from one currency into the other, US dollars into Bitcoin, mm-hmm. Ether into yeah. RMB. It doesn't really... So it, the technology is really the pipeline, going to yeah. be the exchange pipeline. I, I think the technology has removed a lot of the friction costs that were in the system and created efficiencies. Um, with a lot of downsides right now and how fast things are actually moving, and we have seen flash sales on the stock market as well. So we have really have to say there's no, there's no perfect solution out there right now, but I think we're seeing a lot of things happening at the same time, a lot of them experiments, and we can learn from them. All right, good. Uh, any other last thoughts on kind of the vision and benefits that we want to create um, for our future currencies and regulation? <laughs> I think the one, the one thought that stuck with me a while back is like if, you th- if something new is coming along, you have a lot of people that are usually more on the conservative side that are very, very concerned and raising concerns what that, what's going to happen. And they are usually right. Those things are going to happen. <laughs> um, but the society itself is going to figure out how to deal with it, and the yeah. world is going to be a better place afterwards. Right. There's severity. The severity, I think, that's imagined by the chicken littles that the sky is falling that... Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. I agree with you. Yeah, it's, by, yeah, yeah, by punting on the angst, you mm-hmm. don't get any, <laughs> you don't get, it doesn't mean that you don't have the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And by punting on it or just waiting for somebody else to solve the problem, mm-hmm. it's not really going to make it go away. No, I think, yeah, I think it's growing pains, but I think the future is very promising. I'm very optimistic. Well, ho- hopefully we've, uh, everybody that's listening has got some new good ideas about what's possible here. We wanted to kind of paint a picture, a ro- rosy picture perhaps of what, what could be. So noodle on that harder and uh, write us some comments or uh, shoot, a, shoot us email um, if you have additional thoughts. You've been listening to the Abstract Podcast. The creator and host of this podcast is Eric Veal. It was recorded, engineered, and produced by Christian Harris. You can contact us and find all our show notes on our website at appsjack.lipson.com. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. If you like what you hear on this podcast, let us know by writing us a very nice five-star review on iTunes and subscribing. You can also find out more by going to abstract.com meetup to get more information on this month's topic and the corresponding meetup group that Eric hosts in Bellevue, Washington each month. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next month for our next episode of the Abstract Podcast. This has been a Seatown Media production. Find out more at seatownmedia.com. S-E-A hyphen townmedia.com. Media.com.